Hi, this is Jim Menick, and welcome back to Nostrum. It's been a while since I've recorded one of these, and there's going to be some changes. And I'm pretty excited about some of the changes that I've put in here, because they make it sound oh so professional. But before we get to those changes, which I've already done ass backwards, I just want to remind you of where we are so far in our story, if you haven't listened for a while. You'll remember that everybody was flying down to Miami to the Messerschmitt Messeforensics at Messerschmitt College. The entire New York squadron, every school you can think of, with the exception of Bissonnet, was on one plane, Okeechobee Air, and all flying together. There were various dramas taking place. A drama between David and William a drama between Cartier and Had and Jasmine. There's the drama of whether or not the night and day team has to disband. They've run out of money. There's the drama of whether Amnia Nutmilk can put together a decent team comprising nothing but a bunch of detention characters. All of this remains to be seen, and all of this will be discussed sooner or later. But first, let's Cut to the chase. Hi, this is Jim Menick, and welcome to Nostrum, the debate soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite, episode 24. You're either on the bus or off the bus. Miraculously enough, Okeechobee Air Flight 1701D lands safely at Miami International Airport and on time to boot. Now the real parade begins. Most schools travel alone to tournaments, or at most with one nearby sister school, in order to share and pair expenses. But the New York area schools are different. First, there are a lot of them, and they provide a network of self-supporting events that allow a foreign Sician to achieve great heights while never venturing north of Yonkers or south of the Statue of Liberty. Second, and more important, the New York schools have Mr. Lopat, the forensic android and organizer extraordinaire. As his wheelchair rolls slowly toward the baggage area, he is trailed by the marching army of northeast debaters, arranged singly or in twos or threes, not exactly goose-stepping, but not exactly losing track of their hallowed leader either. Mr. Lopat would eat them for a late breakfast if they did, regardless of whether or not they are on his team. He's scary, William Hand whispers to David Brillig. They are only a few steps behind the tiny oriental coach of Manhattan Lodestone, and it may be the closest they have ever been to his diminutive gray eminence. You notice how he never looks back, but he knows that we're all still here? He knows exactly what we're doing. He knows what we're doing and even what we're thinking. William is walking with his hands tucked into his backpack straps like a rural lawyer thumbing his suspenders. He is wearing his performing suit because it's easier to carry it on his back than in a suitcase and also because he is deathly afraid of losing his luggage and his outfit to the jaws of a carrier like Okeechobee Air. He is very pleased with himself to have brought nothing but carry-on. 
Mr. Lopat's not that good, David says. He really can't mind read. Well, not unassisted, but that chair has all the add-on features, including the parapsychic rust protection. Directly next to Mr. Lopat, steadily walking along at his wheelchair pace, is his assistant, Lisa Tort. She is stony-faced and silent, a copy of Jacques Derrida's limited ink tucked under her left arm and a large canvas bag thrown over her right shoulder. On the other side of Mr. Lopat, also pacing his wheelchair, is Alita Devins. Her large six-foot solidity is in marked contrast to the five-foot height of Lisa Tort, or even the more negligible altitude of Mr. Lopat's tilted head at the top of his chair. Ms. Devins is talking nonstop, occasionally looking over her shoulder to ascertain that her Brooklyn behemoth species are still all in place. Every time she turns around, my blood turns to ice, William says after another of her backwards glances. Tell me about it, David agrees. This is the easiest part of the forensic parade, before the luggage is collected. About half the students, like William, are wearing their dress clothes, and most have no other baggage to pick up. But all the dress clothes in the world won't make up for the ordeal of the policy tubs, which have yet to make their appearance on the baggage carousel. I will check the buses, Mr. Lopat says to the two women flanking him. I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby, Alita Devins says with a smile. He looks up at her, uncomprehending. His eyes narrowed and his forehead furrowed. Then he turns to Lisa Tort. Get my bag, he tells her. She nods almost imperceptibly, but he doesn't wait long enough to see it. With a soft whir, his chair rolls toward the exit door, out of the terminal. Coaches Dan Ryan and Tarnas Jutmal stand together, apart from the group of students milling in front of the carousel. I can't believe they're going to do it, Ryan says sympathetically. I can't believe it either, Chutmal says, but it's a fait accompli. I use up whatever's in the budget till about Christmas, the way I see it, and that's the end of it. Plus, I guess, whatever I make on the snowball tournament, if we can last that long and we don't get canceled out by snow again. And you haven't told the kids yet? Eh, they'll only go crazy if I do. Let them enjoy the last few months. Ryan nods. I wonder if maybe there isn't something I can do. I mean, Toulouse is a big district with a lot of money. And it's money that will stay in your district, Dan. Imagine what would happen if your town found out it was supporting my town. This time, Ryan shakes his head. Yeah, you're right. I'm right, definitely, and I'm doomed. Or at least the team is doomed. At this point, I'm just going through the motions. I'm sorry for you, Tarnish. I really am. I know it, Dan, and I appreciate it. With a clanking tumble, the first of the baggage comes sliding onto the carousel. Tara Petskin, Veil of Ignorance's queen of policy, is standing beside her partner, Bill O'Connor, at the very spot where the luggage will first hit the skids. Perish the thought that Terran not be the first in line, Hodge El Sworn, the Farnsworth Catholic coach, says to Seth B. Obamash. They are standing beside a bank of vending machines from which Obamash has purchased a couple of packets of peanut butter on cheese cracker sandwiches. He is studiously chewing one as he responds to Hadge Sworn. I've never seen Tara anywhere but first in line since the day I met her. The Farnsworthians are all in love with her, you know. She's their heroine. You're kidding. How do they even know her? They don't do policy. Oh, she's pretty good looking for one thing. And they do notice that even if it's not their activity. 
Obamash snorts. Vermont has 90% of your kids think they're gay. Not true, but even if it was, I would still leave 10% hot for Ted or Petskin. It's a fact of life. What can I say? I thought they were all hot for that one over there. Obamash tilts his head in the direction of Cartier Diamond, who is standing a few feet back from the crowd holding the hand of Had Fleece. Ah, oh, that goes without saying, Sworn explains. They may be in love with Terra, but there's talk of building a monument to Cartier, even the ones you think are gay. I wouldn't mind erecting a steel for her myself, Obamash says with a barking horror. I'd go a lot younger than I usually do in her case. They'd end up leading you away and change. It'd be worth it, Hodge, definitely worth it. The tubs are starting to roll onto the carousel now, one after the other, the strange cargo of every forensic journey. From her place at the head of the carousel, Tara Petskin is directing traffic, making sure each tub is rolled away quickly by the true owner. Hmm, do you know where we're staying, Had? Cartier asks. She is extremely bored, waiting for her bags. This is always the worst part of traveling. Mr. Ryan said the name of the hotel is the Enchanted Hunters. Cartier shrugs. Hmm, there's probably no Ritz in Miami, she says, putting the best face on things. Since when have you ever stayed at a grand hotel at a debate tournament? Hmm, sometimes when my father comes and judges, he and I will stay somewhere decent in that case. Don't you miss being with the rest of the team? She raises her dark glasses from the bridge of her nose to the top of her head. Hmm, hardly, she replies. Had feels a push at his rear and turns to see Jasmine Maru unknowingly backing into him with her suitcase. She straightens quickly when she realizes what has happened and who she has bumped into. Hello, he says to her. Hello, Had. Jasmine looks at Cartier, whose glare is as meaningful as a pointed shotgun. I see you, Jasmine says, disappearing into the crowd. Strange girl, Cartier says. She's still going out with that freshman. What was his name? Uh, Baglarini? Oh, Buglaroni. No, I heard they broke up. She's very fickle. Hmm, I just don't get it. Oh, that's all right. Because you just don't have to. She leans herself into him more closely, and all thoughts of Jasmine are instantly removed from his mind. Oh, those are mine, Cartier says, pulling away sharply, pointing at the two nicest bags on the carousel, had dutifully walks over to retrieve them. And the tubs are piling up. Four, eight, ten, sixteen, twenty, there is no end to them. The baggage claim area is turning into a Rubbermaid warehouse, and the industrious students are loading the tubs onto dollies and rolling them around carelessly, with other students getting out of their way quickly or facing the unpleasant consequences. What a bloody zoo, Amnia Nutmilk says to Chesney as they walk past the carnage. Their Delta flight landed a few minutes after Okeechobee Air, and with their carry-on luggage slung over their shoulders, they are on their way to their rental car. That's the debate world, Mom. Lord save us. You wanted to be a part of it. I did not want to be a part of <sighs> that. And we're not, Chesney reminds her. That's right, she says, as they pass the worst of the congestion. We're not. As the nutmilks head to the Hertz booth, Mr. Lopat re-enters the terminal, a small, satisfied smile on his face, which is as much positive emotion as he ever shows. The buses are ready, he announces to no one in particular, but all the debaters, regardless of where they are in hearing distance, pick up the announcement through osmosis and head toward the exit. 
The rear buses will go straight to the college. What about the motel? Lita Devins asks, taking her position beside him again. You and I will go there in the front bus, with whatever students we happen to end up with. We'll join the others after we register. The last of the baggage and tubs have been sorted, and the parade reconvenes, this time heading toward the exit. Immediately outside the building is a row of four buses, their engines smoking noxiously in the damp Miami heat. They are painted drab green, and a sign on the side of each reads, Florida State Penitentiary. And there, and there, Mr. Lopat says, pointing the students at the prison buses. What about the tubs? Tara Peskin asks. Mr. Lopat points, over there. At the end of the line of buses is a truck, an 18-wheeler, painted with the dancing skeleton logo of the Grateful Dead. How clever, Alita Devins remarks. It's not like Jerry Garcia needed it anymore, Mr. Lopat says. And then he actually laughs, perhaps for the first time. How did you get the buses? The chain gang is off for the weekend, so they were available. I have friends in the penal system here. Her eyes narrow thoughtfully. They don't cost us a penny, he continues. What more could we ask for? What more could we ask for, she echoes. The tubs get loaded into the Captain Tripp's truck at the rear, and the students get loaded into the penitentiary buses in a flurry of seat shuffling. Mr. Lopat takes his position at the front of the lead bus, the motors rev, and they slowly pull out into the airport traffic. The Northeast is on its way to the Messerschmitt. Will the buses make it to the tournament, or will they home like pigeons back to the penitentiary? Will the tubs make it intact in the Grateful Dead 18-wheeler? Will Jerry Garcia imitators ever start playing Vegas? Would anyone be willing to invest in Ann Coulter fast food restaurants? Will the NFL put LD out of its misery? Just try to find the answer in our next installment. rice you can run but you can't hide.